0: Good evening. Welcome to Second Congregational Church's evening service. Uh, I know that lots of us are enjoying the new weather, uh, the nice weather. I had a, a softball game with my daughter today, and they won nine to three. She hit a double. I, I mean, I have to share that with you. It makes me so happy. I'm training somebody who can play catch with me when I'm and when uh, I'm older. <laughs> Uh, but yes, today we're going to talk about not my children, but God's children, and that's all of us. And God has uh, been trying to communicate clearly with us for a long time, and he uses uh, people, he uses nature, he uses prophets, all kinds of things to communicate with us. And one of the texts we've been looking at are... Uh, the Gnostic texts that were discovered at Nag Hammadi in 1945. In early church history, what happened was, is the church wanted to have, you know, one brand of Christianity, one orthodox point of view. There was no... sometimes to think, where did orthodoxy come from? Orthodoxy started in the fourth century. So that implies that for four centuries before, Normal Christianity was very diverse, a lot like it is today. And uh, what the Orthodox Church fathers did is they hid all of, them, or said, "Got to get rid of those books." And so one day in Nag Hammadi, Egypt, a boy, or a farmer rather, found a bunch of texts in an old monastery. And they were filled with the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Truth, all of these other texts. And guess when they dated? To before the 4th century, before Orthodoxy. So we get a view, we get a glimpse into what a really pure form of Christianity was. And a pure form is something that's more organic, less structured. A pure form is something that is is shaped by the community in which the gospel is in. And Valentinus, he was trained in Alexandria. He was a smart dude. And he was considered a Christian. He used to go to church with all the other Christians and almost became the bishop in Rome. And he didn't really even call himself a Valentinian, which is what they were called eventually, because they were just Christians. We like to label people when they have, you know, we're Congregationalists, some are Baptists, and we all there's reasons why. But we don't hate those groups, right? We would always listen to what they have to say. We respect each other, because we know it's just a different perspective. So today we're going to open up, as we have been, the Gospel of Truth. And see what a text from from the second century. Like, what would their sermon be? Because this isn't a gospel. It's called the Gospel of Truth, but it's not a gospel like the four gospels. It's just like a sermon. So, let's open it up. The Gospel of Truth says that this is what Jesus came to do. You know, the Jewish people, they had a very particular idea of what the Messiah would do. Guess what they would do at church, even up till the day Jesus was uh, alive? When you committed a sin, they would, do, they would do sacrifices. Valentinus, that's not his upbringing. So he's gonna see the story way differently. For him, Jesus came to the whole world not just one people group but Jesus came to, turn, and this is what it says to turn people away from error from mistakes. so you see right there, I'm not saying anything different than what the church typically teaches neither are the Gnostics error Mistakes, sins, it's all the same thing. It's all about getting to to the root issue that something isn't quite right about this world. That's plain to everybody, right? Life is great, but there's something like off. (laughs) This age-old tale of orthodoxy and heresy Is like an old couple arguing, saying, he said this, they said that. What matters is that you listen and understand both sides. What if both of them have something for, some kind of truth? Isn't that how arguments really work? (laughs) So let's do away with this old divisive tale that we've been told. Let's... All the books I've read on this subject say, we need to start over with this conversation. And we're pioneering that. (laughs) We're actually bringing that into the church. There is not just one way to understand Jesus Christ. We know this. And all the other ways should not be locked up in a closet. Let's hear the other side of the coin. And remember, we're talking about the same coin. It's all Christianity. In this case, we're going to open up this newly discovered Christian text written by Valentinus. It's called The Gospel of Truth. And we're just going to let the other side of Christianity that existed earlier than orthodoxy, we're going to let them have a say. We're going to give them a voice. These Gnostic authors existed alongside of orthodox Christianity before orthodoxy ever was even mentioned. That's man-made. We're going to give them a chance to tell their story, And my challenge is, what are we so afraid of? Truth is truth, whether you believe it or not. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, sets the stage for today's passage. So we start in the regular, in the traditional Bible, because they were written around the same time, and they're trying to say the same story. 1 John chapter 3 says this, See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I'm a parent, I'm a pastor, I'm also a resident psychoanalytic therapist. I work with little people, I work with big people. I'm trained to observe, to listen and to understand. That's that's what I do. (laughs) I understand that all of us are living lives and that sometimes life just gets dark. It feels heavy. And aren't these dark and heavy days? I study the causes and symptoms of human behavior. One, One, I work with the tools of psychology. But I also work with the hermeneutical tools of interpretation and symbolism and story here at church. That's what we studied in seminary how to interpret. (laughs) I listen when people talk to me, I really do. And I listen when writers write. I am actively weaving together what I take in to see patterns so that I can understand what's going on under the surface of everything. To see and hear what people, books, and history, and life are really trying to say. You see, life is a joyous thing most of the time. It's just that darkness comes in. And when it comes, it makes you forget all the good stuff. And the big picture that all of this is just a momentary experience itself. That reality, too, can grip you with some kind of fear to see how delicately held together this all is. Or at least it can feel that way. How nothing is really guaranteed. That we really don't have as much control over things as we like to think. And so we react defensively. We grab control, working harder and harder. Or we turn inward, feel like giving up. We get frustrated. We get angry, we feel overwhelmed with worry, and we take it out on others. All of this is an effort to hide the reality that life truly very much is like a dream. And if it is a dream, well, then you must be alive somewhere as in a deep sleep yourself. Valentinus's Gospel of Truth tells us that Jesus comes into the dream of life. And that explains why he can come and go as he pleases, appear in whatever form he chooses, why his presence can and cannot sometimes be felt, It's how he moves between dimensions and realms that defy our logic. We are the ones who are asleep. And this is why the Apostle Paul writes, See, some of the Bible doesn't make sense if we don't know the other side of the coin. Because listen to what Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 5, verse 14. Here's what it says. Wake up, O sleeper. Climb out of your coffins and Christ will show you the light. The Gospel of Truth is a commentary on the New Testament Gospels and it's written to shed light on the life of Jesus. Jesus was misunderstood by so many. Let's not forget this. Nobody got the guy. That was his fate, the cross. Because nobody got him. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the smartest people, the religious leaders, and all the scholars. His family didn't get him. And even his own disciples. They didn't get him either. Remember, they were the ones, the same people who abandoned Jesus on the cross are the ones who wrote the story down. So they didn't understand. They did their best to pass along his teachings. But Jesus instructed his disciples, this, I think, is the most important commandment Jesus gives. Not the other things. This is it. It's that we must ask. We must seek. We must knock on the door. No one else can do these things for you. You are the one that has to become enlightened. Not the priests, not a guru doing it for you. You must awake from this sleepy state out of that unconscious coffin, Paul writes, into a conscious one. When you ask, seek, and knock, when you yourself can ponder and meditate on what this reality really is, you will see that it is an experience just for you. Just for you. For you to what? To wake up. It's for you to wake up. But waking up isn't as easy as it sounds. So we ask for help. And when you do, as those people did back then, Jesus will appear to help and guide you. He may not have a beard and be carrying a little lamb. He may come in some other form, but you will know it. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep recognize my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them real, real and eternal life. No one can steal them from out of my hand that's that's very sharing good news so today is about what Jesus is saying to us through Valentinus's eyes what he's whispering in these everyday lives we live do you know every day is telling you something each day is trying to wake us up not just out of bed that's hard too, right? That's, that's hard to get in bed sometimes. But Jesus is trying to wake this inner person up so that we don't always remain asleep. We don't always remain in the dark. So Valentinus writes, he says this, He, Jesus, went before them to their own places from which they departed when they erred because of the depth of him whom surrounds every place. Now, if God is unfathomable, you know, there's a story about the ant on the elephant's back, and the ele- and the ant is going right, and he tells all his friends, I'm going to go the, the, to the right. And the elephant, he, does he even know the elephant turned left? <laughs> he can't fathom what he's actually on. That's what Valentinus is, is saying here. God is so big that we made a mistake because we thought, oh, I'm doing the right things. And we never thought, oh my gosh, I might be part of something even bigger. He continues, whereas there is nothing that surrounds him. Think about this. Nothing surrounds God, right? Nothing surrounds God. But everything surrounds us. This is a perspective problem. So Valentina says, it is a great wonder that the children of God were in the Father, they were part of him on his back but they didn't know Him. And even that they thought, oh, I'll leave the Father, you know, some people say, I don't, I don't believe. That's like saying, that I don't believe in elephants. I don't believe in the earth I'm standing on. <laughs> but it's so big, right, that it's hard to grasp. How long did we think the earth was flat? It's all about perspective. Once we got perspective, we, we said, oh, It's round. <laughs> So human beings were not able to contain him, Valentinus says, and know him in whom they were. That makes sense, right? Kind of. And is that like a sin? No, that's a mistake. That's an error, a perspective problem. It's just an error. That's why Valentinus is saying this. So let me explain just this little part a little bit. Valentina says here that all of us have come from the Great Father, and they used a lot of father language, but spirit in Hebrew. I always have to say this because uh, I want to make sure that we understand that God is, is like that elephant, way bigger than the male and female pronouns we use. In Genesis it says we made human beings in our image, both male and female, So whenever I say great father I'm also going to include the great mother and that's the Ruach the Holy Spirit. And the great father and mother you know just like the baby can't fathom the parent yet they're trying they can't grasp the fullness of what's going on. And so they make an error. There's an error made. Imagine human history going on and we never really hear from our parents? That's, that's a problem. And this error makes us think we can go in this direction by ourselves because we forgot where we came from. And we see this happen to people who have great success, right? What do we say? They forgot where they came from. We see it there. And we see it with people who fall into terrible tragedy. They forget that one mistake doesn't have to define your entirety. But those are the extremes. There's a great middle that exists. We sometimes feel the light, but we also feel darkness. And its tug pulls us back and forth so much that we become unstable, nervous, and forgetful that yes, there is dark, but there's also light. This is the way life is. There's no way around it. It's stormy and calm. It's wild and chaotic, serene and refreshing. Reality is a lot like the sea. Very wild and very calm at least in this earthly state we're in. Jesus the great guide appeared and taught us how to make it through life. Remember the scenes of him walking above the water, walking in the storm? That's what these symbolic pictures are saying. That Jesus is he's anchored in the light, in reality. He tells us how we came into being and to where we will return comes to show us the way. But why, even with what we do have, does the way sometimes feel so unclear and so foggy? If only we had a map, a book we could trust, one that is clear and without inconsistencies, errors, prejudices and one that could be understood by all people and cultures. Is it the Bible? Is it the Quran? Is it the Torah? Is it the Buddhist Tripitaka? Or the Hindu Vedas that will point us to the true north? Or can it be found in the self-help section at Barnes & Nobles? I've been there. So many to choose from. So many paths to take. If you listened to last week's message, you will remember that I shared a passage from Jeremiah, one that summed up the direction Jesus had tried to encourage humanity to go in. He was revealing the way to the God we all seek. And he wanted us to not just look outward for God, but also inward. Jesus was teaching us to ask for yourself, seek for yourself, and knock on the door of your own mind and experience. You know what a great Bible is? A book that you may have never read? Your story. (laughs) Has God not been there the whole time? Writing each day? But it's not an easy task to be honest with yourself has to understand why you behave the way you do. It's hard. But that is what prayer and meditation was for Jesus. The word tefillah in Hebrew means to have an inner reflection that you do daily over your life so that you can learn to be responsible for your own way. That's how they use the word. You can look it up. Tefillah. See, when you can see your own self, then you will see the way. Then you will be able to see others. Then you will have so much compassion for people. And you will see what lies beyond this dream. You'll see what this reality really is. So here's the last section of this paragraph that we're going to look at today. Valentinus writes, For Jesus revealed it, the truth about this reality, as a knowledge with which all the emanations agree. The whole universe, all of the heavens agree with this. Namely, here's what they all agree with. The knowledge of the living book, a living book that he revealed to the eternals at last as his letters, displaying to them that the letters, these letters, are not just merely vowels and consonants so that one may read them void of meaning. On the contrary, they are letters that convey truth. We could pause. What are these letters? God has his own letters, and he's writing a different book. Not this book. One for all of the heavens. An eternal book. These letters, they are pronounced only when they are known. Each letter is like a perfect truth in a perfect book. For they are letters written by the hand of the unity. Since the Father wrote them for eternal beings. So that by means of his letters, they might come to know the Father. Again, what are these letters? What message is God trying to write with them? They're clearly important. Whenever I, was a, whenever I hear a kid lament about how school is so annoying, I say to them, Oh, you, you hate being able to re- read the signs that tell you where to go? Do you hate reading your favorite book or your text messages from your friends? Do you hate learning uh, having having learned how to count or learning more about a subject you love? And do you hate knowing how to think critically so as to not be deceived by this and that? Of course I hated school too. But we all hate going to the gym and exercising. I played some sports this week and I was quickly reminded that I'm not 15. Everything hurt. Learning is a painful process. And that's the fee. That's how much it costs to grow and develop. Before you were born, you were nothing. You were nothing. Don't you remember? You were not even a thought. You didn't have a worry in the world. No concerns. But now you find yourself here. You. Me. What am I doing here? (laughs) What are we? What are you? A unique person, that's for sure. Like no other. Don't believe me? Look at the tip of your finger. Really, look at it. (laughs) Because there's not another like it. Each letter of the alphabet is a different, uniquely written, and uniquely sounding character. Do you remember how long it took you? It was like a college length of time to learn the alphabet and years to master. Just read my emails. I'm still learning. A literate person values this knowledge. And a literate person does not yet know how powerful it is. And this is what Valentinus interpreted Jesus to have taught. This is what he heard when he read Peter's first epistle. See, I always show you everything that's being said in these Gnostic texts, you can find a comparative right there in the Bible. They just said it a little differently. It says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. It says, Welcome to the living stone. He's talking about Jesus. right? We're not talking about literal stones here, right? We're talking about Jesus. The Bible is symbolic. It's filled with metaphors and allegory. So Peter writes, Welcome to the living stone, the source of life, Jesus. And he gives a parable. He says, The workmen took one look at Jesus, at the stone, and they threw him out. But God set it in the place of honor, did he not? Present yourself as building stones, as people. For the construction of a sanctuary vibrant with life. You know why we make stone sanctuaries? Because it's a shadow of what we're really thinking, of what's really going on beyond this dream. And it's symbolic saying, you are like a living stone, just like Jesus was the stone that they got rid of. You and I built on Jesus are becoming living stones to build what? A sanctuary vibrant with life, Peter says, in which you and I will serve as holy priests offering Christ-approved lives up to God. And he says, I'm not, Peter says, I'm not just saying this. The Old Testament says it too. He says, Listen, look, I'm setting a stone in Zion. Where did Jesus come from? Israel. He started in Israel. A cornerstone in the place of honor. I put Jesus. Remember what was the most important place of worship for the Jewish people, the Israelites? The temple. And what Peter is saying one day the temple will be destroyed, but don't worry about it. There's going to be a new temple. One that nobody can tear down. And I'm going to start it with this stone. Oh, a real stone? No. I'm going to start it with the first stone. His name will be Yeshua. And whoever trusts in this as the foundation will never regret it. Nobody's going to knock that temple down. To you who trust Jesus, he's a stone to be proud of. But to those who refuse to trust him, remember, the stone the workmen threw out is now the chief cornerstone. And Valentina says the same thing Peter says to us here. The same thing. You can put this right on Peter. Same thing just a different image. That when Christ came to us, He showed us a new way to God. He gave us a new law. Not written on stones, not on tablets, but written rather in our hearts and in our minds. It would be innate. Valentinus teaches us that Christ introduced a whole new alphabet, To humanity. A new language to understand God. And Jesus was the first letter A. And to all those who believe. All those who accept what Christ was teaching. A new approach to God. One that would never be bound. Or found. Solely in ancient books with ancient letters but rather a way to God that could be found in living books in living letters what are the letters? when one accepts that God has given us the freedom to live by the light A freedom to cultivate our own Garden of Eden within our minds to produce those fruits of the Spirit Paul writes about in Galatians chapter 5 of love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And last week we learned of self-control. Not religion or man-made control. Self-control. Well, when this happens, when we wake up we become a living letter in God's alphabet. One not need to just reduce God into a doctrine or dogma, into a book, even a religion. Because now you and I are God's letters. This is what Christ teaches. This is the most powerful thing that human history has ever become aware of. We are the work of God's hands and we are his penmanship. Do you hear? Oh, what a story that God and the Holy Spirit could write if we only learned to live as God's letters. Not in error, not trying to be something we're not, or only living half-lives, distorted lives, haunted by darkness and error. What if we truly lived as the light and children of God that we are? His living letters. And to do so would simply require what St. Thomas wrote. Here's the easiest rendition of the Ten Commandments to do what is right and don't lie to yourself. Then we, all of humanity, would become those living stones St. Peter wrote about, or as St. Valentinus wrote, we'd become those living letters. Christ began a new story when he came to earth. And just like A can't be C, G, L, or Z, Christ came to show us how to be a good and faithful letter. True. Each day to its unique character. This week, this day, may we stop living in the darkness by allowing the chaos the media, political ideologies, and archaic systems of religion to write stories that they want, using us as they please. And they do. May we have the courage to take back our own minds and allow God to write a story where once and for all, darkness has been defeated and we all live.